What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. How are you? Thanks for coming back. We're here. We're growing. We are talking about modern day marketing topics that matter to you. We appreciate you coming along. If you like what we're doing over here, follow, subscribe, all those things. Most importantly, tell a friend in the marketing space that you're enjoying Modern Day Marketer. I got Jonathan back on the podcast. We are talking about helping buyers make better and more informed decisions. We are working hard on this behind the scenes. We're going to be launching something really soon, and I thought this conversation would be nice to set the stage for that big announcement coming up in a couple weeks. If you like what we're doing over here, give us some love. Share it with friends. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I've got Jonathan back on the program today. There has been a lot going on here at The Juice. I'm sure there's been a lot going on in your world, and there is some topics that I want to dig into, uh, mostly about helping buyers make better and more informed decisions. It's something that we are thinking about at The Juice, and we are going to be releasing some news and exciting updates here in the the course over the next couple of weeks. So I figured what better way to kick it off by talking with Jonathan about it and exploring some uh, rabbit holes that I'm sure we're going to go down. But without further ado, Jonathan, welcome back. I know you're a busy guy right now. Um, how are you? What's going on in your world? Uh, thanks, Brett. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I, I'd say, you know, I'm no busier than anyone else at The Juice. I think we're all busy, but just in our own different ways. Uh, speaking of which, you've hosted uh, our first virtual event this week and are working on a big launch. So yeah, I, I'd say we're all, again, just busy in our own unique ways, but it's a interesting time right now. We've talked about us doing fundraising, which that market is challenging. So it's weird to be out in that market and kind of, you know, <laughs> jumping through some hoops over some hurdles. Uh, all of the cliches there um, and kind of the challenges that come with that. But then inside uh, the juice, things are going well and growing. And so it's a weird context switch to be jumping back and forth between uh, those two different environments, but it's fun. Keeps me on my toes, learning a lot and uh, excited to have this conversation today. Before we jump into it, I think something that most people can probably relate to listening to this is that I'm sure they work at a company that has a remote or distributed team and people are all, all over the place and people are communicating via Slack, Zoom, all those channels that have become just a part of our overall life, professional life workflow over the last two years with the pandemic. Um, we got a chance last week to all get together in the same room and talk about the quarter that was and work ahead, maybe share some perspective on getting everyone together, how that went, and maybe kind of what your primary takeaways were? Yeah, I thought it went really well. The caveat that I always give the team at the start of that meeting that I'm sure you've now heard several times over is a lot of the information we present on that day isn't necessarily new information. There's maybe some of that, but the majority of it is recapping, reviewing, discussing what we're working on, addressing any blockers, answering any questions. But it is the opportunity to get everybody together uh, get everything on the table and address any of those things. So I think that's encouraging. And we do, I do some feedback after the meeting and that seems to be appreciated that that method seems to be going well. I would say that um, the theme this quarter uh, that I noticed, and I think several others noticed is there weren't as many kind of stray topics or stray ideas. We had 
some of that to a degree, but we've had topics and ideas in previous meetings that threatened derailing the day or the meeting. We didn't have any of that uh, this quarter. I think that's a sign of, okay, we're getting better at communicating internally and uh, cross-functionally, as well as goal setting is getting smarter and more aligned across the teams. And that's that's kudos to all the work that you all are doing amongst each other. Um, so I, I was really encouraged by the day and really excited about the quarter ahead. A lot of excitement. I felt energized. I know a lot of other people on the team did as well. Let's jump into the topic. I want to maybe, uh, when we're thinking about making buying decisions, I, I want to think about it first from maybe a consumer perspective and talk about it because I feel like if we talk about it, um, we'll probably pull some things out of it from our own experiences that we should be maybe applying to our professional lives. Uh, one of the, so we have talked and over the last couple conversations, there's two things that you and I are both in the market for. And maybe, so me, for me, I'm, I'm in the buying process of a brand new couch. I know you are in the buying process of potentially making an investment on a place that you can go play golf regularly. So I think these are big decisions and there are a lot of different factors that go into the making the ultimate decision to go with, you know, this course or this club or this couch, maybe from your perspective, talk through just like your evaluation on your side and maybe the different steps that you're going through to navigate it. The asterisk here is that I'm a crazy person. I suck at buying things just in general. I get given a hard time by friends and family about this, uh, but maybe that speaks to every buyer is unique. I'm cheap. I I don't know. I just uh, always shopping for a discount. I, I just, I go to the store four times before I end up buying something. Like I'll go to the store knowing I need socks and I'll come home without socks. And my wife will be like, why didn't you get socks? Like that was like, you, you literally are out of socks. Like you need socks. I was like, I, I didn't find anything I loved. I'll go back the following day and buy the exact socks I had the previous day. So I'm a mess, but I would say for me, what I like to do is test drive. So uh, you're right. I, I play a lot of golf and I've been bouncing around and I'm tired of fighting for early morning tea times across the city of Indianapolis. So me and my my buddy that we golf with regularly, we're thinking about joining a course and took it for a test drive this weekend, kind of gathered all the information. But then I am going to go make a very personal, probably pretty quick decision on my own based off my intuition and the research I'm doing. Uh, the person that is trying to sell me this membership, like I talked to them once for maybe half an hour and that was more than enough time I needed to make the decision. Everything else, all the info, other information I'll gather will be from my own research, talking to other people who play that course a lot, talking to the person who's making the decision with me, you know, talking it over with the wife, all, all those details. Like, it's just shocking. It's not a, it's not a, uh, I sound very bougie here talking about joining a golf course. It's not a super nice golf course. Like, but it is, you know, it is something that like I will budget around and like has a tangible impact. But like even at that scale, I'm not talking to the salesperson, uh, maybe salesperson in quotes, um, to make the decision. Like I just need the information from them and everything else I'll, I'll do on my own. So there's that example. And I'll, I'll share with you, uh, I'm also not a, a, a great buyer of things. I typically rely on others. Uh, most specifically my wife, but I came to this realization recently that from the hours of seven to 11 every night is kind of my weekend. Um, that's when my, my uh, off button goes and my life is uh, kind of on pause for a minute, being a new parent and a busy professional. And I realized that our couch sucks and we need a new couch. 
But I didn't realize that if you go and you want a new couch, the complexity that is involved around buying a new couch, the different variables, the different categories, price points, research. And so I leaned into my wife and I think about her in that decision. And we haven't bought one yet, but we're very, very close. It's very expensive. But I figured, you know what? It's like if you're making an investment on the weekend, which the couch is involved, then you should probably spend a little money because we didn't do that originally. And that's the reason why our couch sucks. But I think about just the process she's gone through and the touch points, whether it's Instagram ad that caught her attention, articles, blog posts, word of mouth, texts, all of this stuff that led me to be in the mall last weekend, which is a place that I don't go, but in a store talking to some someone about spending a lot of money on a new couch. And it, it had me thinking a lot about just the process that we all go through to spend our hard-earned money on things like golf course as an escape or couch as a way to relax from the grind. I think the there's a B2B statistics, maybe pivot this a little bit, but it sounds like you and I are both the same way, even on the consumer side that you know, buyers and it, the statistic has been debated and refuted and reproven and redebated and refuted again, um, back and forth. But the, the statistic that I think is maybe even stereotypical at this point or cliche is that buyers have done 60% of their buying process by the time they get in touch with a sales rep. I would, I mean, I, people have said it's not that high. I think you could also argue it's even higher than that. I think by the time you're you're reaching out to a vendor, like maybe you're just down to one or two and you know, know you're going to purchase one of them, right? But so like just all of the, you hear the things talk about like dark social, dark pipeline, like there's all this stuff happening beyond that sales process that becomes part of this broader story that makes buying really complex for both consumer and vendor. Yeah. And maybe uh, as you're kind of directing this conversation towards maybe just the professional life, thinking about the steps and things that we do as consumers of new product, I think about, you know, buying a subscription to software is probably not the cheapest investment. And the person doing it is likely taking some sort of risk in a way where you're spending this money and on something that's going to probably save you time or probably help you do something better than you were doing before. So you mentioned the the dark social, the dark web, the investigation. We all do things, whether it's connect with people. We go to places, I think like G2, right? Where we they have stuff broken down into specific categories. And on a site like G2, there are real life people sharing their thoughts about why they like or why they don't like certain um, products. So maybe like, I guess how, if think about G2 and think about the role that it plays today in just the buying of software. I know we were just kind of cutting our teeth in marketing before G2 became a thing, but can you uh, remember or imagine your life or your, your boss's life on purchasing software pre something like G2 being available? Yeah, it's a, it's a validation step, right? I think a lot of what happens on G2 is probably happening via email and phone calls previously, but 
um, again, they've found a way to make the process that much easier for buyers, B2B buyers. Right now, all that information is readily available. It's organized in a way where you can easily find it. It's much more efficient for the buyer, which is ultimately a good thing for the vendor as well. Right. You know, I, I think even from a sales perspective, I would rather the buyer have the information and make a quick no, as opposed to forcing them through a process where they have to gather the information and then getting a slow no, make the information available, make it really easy for them, make it really clear for them. And, you know, I I think that's going to make your process and your team and your company more efficient if you can get more qualification done on their own, as opposed to forcing them through this really um, resource intensive exercise of a sales process that ultimately could just lead to a slow no for you and actually does more harm than good. So I think that G2, again, makes it obviously much more efficient uh, and better, uh, more informed decision for the buyer. I think it's also good for the seller, right? Because you're letting people self-qualify, which I think is a really good thing, which then obviously leads into a lot of what you're seeing in PLG right now with people trying uh, products ahead of buying. So um, I, th- I think it's a great resource for buyers, but also uh, has a really positive impact for vendors as well. So maybe we like think about it from the perspective of, okay, if you're buying, if, if you understand that at the juice, there is a new piece of technology that exists that is going to help hit our two key business objectives, which are member growth and revenue from brands. Like someone's Someone's out there pitching this thing that you look at and you think, you know what, this can help me do that or help us do that. What is the process that you would be going through as a potential buyer of that thing and maybe walk through the different steps and how you would navigate that decision? Yeah, Brett, I apologize if maybe I'm stealing the follow-up question to this, but I'm going to go even like a step beyond or kind of pre what you said, right? Where I think what what you're outlining, G2 is great. Um, If you know the problem, if you know the vendors to solve what your pain point is, or you know the category that you need a solution in, it's great. But I think a lot of times we as busy B2B professionals, we have a problem and we don't even know what the solution is. We don't know... Uh, how to define that problem, how to quantify that problem, what category that problem's in, and then obviously then who the brands are that would help you with that as well. So kind of going all the way back to that, I think so often the buying process starts as a problem. And I think that's pretty basic and everybody knows that. But for too long, I think if people have a problem, the solution currently is, you know, circulate that with your team or your network. Uh, now there's a lot of communities where you can do some of that research, but content, right? Um, and for too long, that search has been Google. Uh, and that game has kind of been played out a little bit or maybe overly gamified now, uh, where a lot of times if you're researching on Google, you're getting you're not getting the best solution or the best answer to your question. You're getting the people with the deepest SEO budget, right? Uh, the people who have paid for that placement or most optimized their content for an algorithm as opposed to a person. You're seeing as recently as last week, Google's making announcements about they're trying to change that themselves. So they even see that as a problem uh, to be determined how successful or not that is. People are always going to be trying to game Google regardless of of who uh, of the changes they make. But for too long, that, that's been the process. And I, that's part of what we're solving for at The Juice, right? Is, okay, within your day-to-day, uh, within your professional life, you have a problem, you have a pain point. We have over 100,000 resources. You can search for that problem and pain point. And you're going to find high-quality content from high-quality brands. 
And then the very natural progression is once you've educated yourself on that problem, once you've informed yourself on that problem, uh, then you know where to go in terms from a vendor perspective or making a purchasing decision or even just kind of educating your team and your network. And then I think that's where the next logical step would be to go, go to G2, review the actual vendors, review the actual category, and then go to the vendors. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier, where by that point, I would guess they've almost made up their mind. They're at least 60% of the way along. Uh, If they haven't already, they're probably looking for pricing and like implementation and onboarding and next step details, Um, maybe between a couple of vendors, but they've already made, they they know they need to, if they're reaching out to a vendor at that point, they're, I think, high intent individuals, uh, which is again, good for the vendor. The problem is they didn't know any of that was happening previously. And uh, now people like the Juice and G2 are helping brands realize that some of that is happening uh, kind of in the, the dark funnel, if you will. So from the vendor point of view, I think uh, if you are are on a marketing team, I think, or if you're a business leader, you have to come, I think, come from a place of abundance where you have to say, A, I'm going to invest in content. And I understand by investing in content in a content program and investing in people who are going to fuel this content program that in all likelihood, by us saying, here's a content marketer, we're going to start producing articles, we're going to start a podcast. In all likelihood, just because we do that, that doesn't mean we're going to just start generating leads overnight, but it's an investment in making sure that your team is creating stuff, creating a point of view, creating answers to the questions that people have when they have that problem. And so that's like, that's like step one. And then I think step two is kind of what you're recommending. And I think part of what we're trying to solve for is that, okay, you've made this investment, you're laying the groundwork. Now you actually have a channel and a place to put it where people are going and they can, instead of just going to Google and being hit with a bunch of results that either are you know sponsored ads, unhelpful blog posts that are going to lead you into a sales conversation you don't want it leads you to getting answers quickly to the questions that you have. And then when you're the, the buyer is doing that, then they start to gain affinity for brands who are able to answer their question. And also they can probably relate with based on tone of voice, um, based on their overall experience itself. And those are the people that become your brand champions, right? Which we all want. I think, you know, we all want customers, but we really want the advocates and the champions of what we're doing, right? And I think the people who go through that process know kind of your your tone, like you said, I think, or, or the culture and what you stand for and the ethos of your business and then buy your product. Those are the people that become your brand champions, your advocates, your referrers, your renewals, your expanders. Uh, those are the people we're all looking for. So we, we talk a lot about just, and I, I always like, I feel like I'm going to give you a, a plus one on this because I'm constantly, uh, whenever I create content, I'm linking back to the article you wrote on uh, going unseen in the internet purgatory, because I, I just feel like it's a, uh, it's a, it's a good exclamation point always on like points I'm trying to make. But this idea of this like overwhelming sea of content that exists and I, I think about like if my wife wasn't there navigating this ship for us and trying to buy a new couch, I would be just completely overwhelmed by couch companies and couch content like coming at me. And I, to be honest with you, I would just probably stare at it all and just say, whatever, like, 
let me call a friend and just like, I'll just take what they're saying because they've probably done all the work. But I don't know, like in B2B right now, there's so much freaking content and it's so difficult and challenging to navigate it. Like how important do you think like this, like segmentation, creating categories, building community, like how important is all of this in kind of the, the uh, helping our future customers out in getting them to where they need to be and making a, a buying decision that they're not going to regret, but are going to be advocates and look great in front of their boss when they do so. There's a great article that Brett, maybe we could share in the show notes or something um, that I read recently and I shared with the team about search is boutique. Like curation, search is the most powerful tool until it becomes overwhelming. And then you need curation. And then curation like eventually leads you back to search. And then search, like there's kind of this like, cycle of going from expanding and then curation, expanding and curation. I think that's happened in the B2B space where there's so much stuff now. Yeah. We'll call it stuff for now. Uh, There's so much stuff that it's like now, like search is overwhelming and and we need some curation. That's what we're building at the juice. But the, the example that uh, you're talking about in internet purgatory uh, is a very personal example I wrote about. I was working on fundraising uh, wanted to work on a pitch deck, was looking for resources around pitch deck templates. I Google searched that and it is just a complete tire fire of ads, templates that are, you know, you have to click through 16 different pages because they're optimized for SEO. Even, even the links that weren't ads, you click into them and then you have to pay for the templates, like no quality content, I would say. And this was right as we were launching the juice, like this was even pre-launch and like the, the app was just up and running. I did the same exact search and sure enough, like found really helpful quality resources that were written for our audience, right? Which is B2B professionals. It was like a breath of fresh air. Uh, the, the article I found and ended up referencing quite often during that process was an article from MailChimp, a brand that I was well aware of, a brand that I have some respect for um, even prior to this. Uh, MailChimp isn't going to show up on the first five pages for Pitch Deck. MailChimp's not actively promoting that piece of content. So for all intents and purposes, that piece of content's buried on their website, buried in their blog somewhere. They're not promoting it. It's not showing up in search results. It's an internet purgatory, right? Like I never would have gone to MailChimp's website, never would have found that piece. But here it is like all of a sudden like, okay, C-suite and marketing looking for pitch deck content. And now it's found me just because we've, we've already trimmed the kind of, or thinned the ocean of content, if you will. And then through some lightweight curation, we're able to present the right content to the right person at the right time. Now I'm going to their website, engaging with that content, seeing other cool stuff they're doing, uh, building a ton of brand affinity. And when it comes time to buy an email marketing platform, and I know they're acquired by Intuit now and do a lot more than just email marketing, but when it comes time to make a purchasing decision that MailChimp solves for, I'm they're going to be in really high standing for me, right? Just because they helped me at a time of need, even if it's not core to their business. And that entire experience, again, was a breath of fresh air for me. And whoever wrote that piece of MailChimp, like that's the intent, right? Like to help people, inform people, educate people, entertain people. It's like mission accomplished. Uh, so that that was the experience I, I wrote about, and I, I know we linked to with some regularity. Uh, but we as B two B marketers, we're producing so much content that just goes into that purgatory, buried on your website, doing nothing. So we're we're bouncing back and forth between B two B and uh, kind of personal life examples. And as you were talking, and you mentioned 
the curation of it all in the search bar, I immediately thought back and I'm going to go back to my uh, couch. That's not comfortable right now. And just thinking about like when, when my, when I'm turned, my brain is turned off. I'm in all likelihood in the hours of seven to 11 at night, I probably have my phone and I probably have in and out of those four hour time span. I probably have my Instagram app up. Um, and I'm, it's not Instagram for a per, per personal life. I don't care what people who, uh, I was connected to 10 years ago are doing with their life right now. I, I just don't, it's not my, my bag, but I have a hobby and it's sports cards and I have an account there. And so I think about the regularity at which I use the search on Instagram and it's like once, twice a week. But I think about the curation of Instagram and how Instagram brings new collectors, brings new cards, brings new services, brings new offerings to my feed based on what it knows about me. And if I start to see something continually that I'm interested in or aligns with how I want to grow in my hobby, what do I do? I click in and I hit follow. And then that then that leads down to more opportunities and suggestions and ideas. And I just think like, I wanted to call out that example from the personal life, because I don't think there is a great solution outside of kind of what we're working on at the juice that makes B2B content that readily accessible and makes it that relevant to someone who's trying to purchase a new piece of software that they're taking a chance on because they believe it's going to help you know, accelerate whatever their KPIs are within their marketing team. Yeah. Sorry, Brett. I, you keep going back to the consumer example and I keep directing us, pulling us back into the B2B uh, world, but this is that experience. I'm really glad you shared that experience because I, I've talked to investors, like everything we do during the day is curated for us as consumers. You wake up, maybe you check Twitter, you check your Apple news feed, you check other news resources, all curated for you and your interests. Then you go to work, you do your work, you come home, you turn on Spotify while you're, while you're cooking dinner. Me, I subscribe to HelloFresh. Those meals are curated for me and based on what I've liked previously. What do you do after dinner? Maybe you turn on Netflix and get a curated recommendation there. What do you do while you're laying in bed? Maybe you're scrolling Instagram, seeing cur- like all like our life is curated for us, except for that eight hours at work. And I would argue there is nothing higher value, higher impact to your life that should be curated for you than who you learn from, who you purchase from, and who you work with. And it's crazy to me that, you know, if you make a few wrong decisions on purchasing decisions, on brands that you're learning from and, and content you're you're consuming or ingesting from the wrong places, that's going to have a very direct impact on your job, your, your job prospects, um, which then obviously leaks into all other parts of your life. Um, and it, I, there's nothing maybe more critical to be curated for you than your professional resources, but we just haven't done it until the juice started doing it. And so that's, that's why I personally care really greatly about uh, what we're doing. We, we talk about what we're doing sometimes as like, Oh, it's MarTech or it's content marketing almost as a way to say like, this isn't like, let's not take it like too seriously. Right. But like there's, there's a high degree of like altruism in, in us helping people get smarter and make better decisions that uh, I take great pride in. So let's maybe close it out with this. I think we're going to have a continuation of this conversation next week, but maybe we'll just, I I think this would be fun to riff on going into next week, but just to set you up here, I, we talked a lot about curation. We talked a lot about just consumer B2B experiences. 
one I want to leave the listeners with is that it, it became very routine and normal. And this is probably a testament. This is a testament to what they've built and how they went to market. But for us, before we go, you know, spend 20K on a marketing automation platform or go buy the next ABM solution, we likely as a part of our process have gone to G2 to research and learn from others and uh, try to figure out if this, in fact, as a part of our buying process, if it can be validated by happy customers from them. That's become routine. What you've suggested in basically everything you've said is that the content that our teams are creating is out there and is available but it's probably not the easiest to find and get to. When do we as buyers of software start taking the content that the brands are evaluating? When do we start taking that more into consideration um, like we do G2 today? Now, tomorrow, soon, yesterday? I don't know. Like I, And I think it is like, you know, sometimes it's very direct. Like, hey, I know we need a new marketing automation platform. Like, I don't need to go engage with content, but I think when marketers are writing good content to help their readers uh, make better decisions or solve problems, then like that's when it's really valuable. But I think so often like we we just have a problem and we don't know who solves it, what solves it, or how to solve it. That's what good content marketing is. It educates, entertains, or informs. Um, and I think that would be, I, I think it'd be wise for all B2B professionals and everyone says it. We've talked to so many of them like, oh yeah, I should be, I should be spending more time doing that. Or I'd love to see what my peers are reading. We've made that possible. We've made that experience way more efficient on our platform. And I'd suggest you start doing it right now. One more, one more, because this has triggered a thought, but have you ever purchased software from a brand who? has built and created really good content on the front end that you've researched and you've built a connection with where you you did like once you got your hands on the product or your team got your hands on your product it didn't deliver typically to me that's a sign on the front end that what you're going to get on the back end is going to be good and something that you're likely to renew yeah that experience does not come to mind what does come to mind is times i've had good experience with content made the purchasing decision and then on the other side of that, I've become content myself as a use case. Sprout Social loves Sprout Social's content. I've bought Sprout Social at two different companies now, and I am a subject of a Sprout Social case study. Um, and I, I think that is uh, the more uh, I've had that experience happen more often than uh, what you said, where like good content means typically good product. Uh, I think it's just again kind of the ethos of the business. Hopefully, this conversation is helpful. We went around talking about the buying process from several different points of view and perspective and share a little bit about uh, how we're trying to help and maybe tease a little bit about what's to come. We're going to continue this conversation from another angle next week. Thank you for tuning in, Jonathan. We will talk to you again next week. Thanks, Brett, and good luck with the couch purchase. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode. There was a lot covered in a short amount of time. How are you thinking about the buying experience when you're going through the process in your professional life or when you're creating one for your future customers? We'll be digging in more on this topic, especially on the heels of some news coming up next week. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. Have a awesome week. Talk to you soon.